Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover what it means to be truly known. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Pep. I am so happy to be with you here today. Boy, right on. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited about today's episode. I really enjoyed this chapter. So for those of you who are just jumping into the podcast, this entire season is based on Kurt Thompson's second book, The Soul of Shame. And we are going chapter by chapter for each episode. And I highly recommend that you pick up the book so that you can be fully prepared and really get the most out of the podcast and the book as you're going through it. I I just am really enjoying this book and learning from it and um, really feel like with the applications and everything else. And I think partly it's, it's, it's what you talk about, about just what you're paying attention to. Mm. I feel like I'm paying more attention to the fact that I have a shame. I wasn't going to say I'm paying attention more more attention to my shame attendant, but that's not, <laughs> that's not correct. I'm paying attention more to the fact that I have one, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's that's just been very helpful in my everyday mm. sort of just life. You know, it, it, yeah. to 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 understand and realize that it's there, and understand what that is, and what that where that those thoughts and feelings are coming from have just been a great thing for me. And so thank you. No, that's good. Um, yeah, you're welcome. So today we're on chapter six, and chapter six is titled Shame's Remedy, Vulnerability. Yeah. Well, you know, just to, uh, just to for a moment, Pep, yeah. uh, just to jump on, to, to kind of tag on to what you just said about paying more attention, you know, to and, and aware that we have an attendant who's, who's kind of talking to us all the time. And we'll, we'll get to this, even this chapter that, like, I think I'm better able to do that because I'm aware that I'm not alone with this thing. It's like evil wants to lull me into kind of this autopilot way of not paying attention to not being aware that there's an attendant. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the joy that, for instance, that we share, that you and I share, like this connection that we have is a significant way that gives me ballast and space. <sighs> I can exhale and then pause and say, oh, wait, there's this shame attendant over here. But that's very different than what I hear Pepper saying. Like that's that's a I, and if I don't have this relationship with you and with others of our, you know, if I don't have that, like I don't really have much to turn to other than this. And this thing becomes pretty automatic. Yeah, you know, I I told you a little quick story when we were on video, and I I think I'd like to I'm share it here it, because it, it talks yeah. about it really speaks to this to me. So I work from home mostly, and so once a week, once every couple of weeks, I'll go and work at a Starbucks first thing in the morning before my meetings start, so that I can just be around people, you know, feel that energy, and I just it just you know I, I'm not talking to anybody or anything, but just the fact that they're there is helpful to me. And this past Monday. I, I went up and I was working. I had my AirPods in, my coffee, and I'm just kind of head down on the computer and doing my thing. And um, I had an alarm set for when I had to leave because I needed to be home for my first uh, video conference. And I look up and it's just about time to go. And as I glance up, I realize that it's pouring down rain outside. Now, that normally wouldn't be a problem, except my <laughs> Jeep is sitting in the parking lot with the top off. Because there was no rain in the forecast for this day on this uh, this past Monday. It was supposed to rain all week, not. but not Monday. So I, I have to get home. My my Jeep is just getting dressed. So I go out. I just get in the car. And um, 
I think that prior to us working on this season and prior to me paying attention to shame, I would have, I, I know my shame attendant would have been saying, what an idiot you are getting mm. caught in the rain with, mm. with the top down, right? Mm. And instead, my reaction was just to start chuckling. So I get in, <laughs> I get in the Jeep and I turn the windshield wipers on because I can't see out the window. And I'm just, I'm just getting soaked. So I start driving home and I'm laughing, but I'm not the only one laughing. Like everybody I pass, everybody on the road is just crack, you know, honking their horns, flashing their lights and laughing. The worst part was when you had to, st- <laughs> you had to stop at a light because when you're moving, the rain kind of goes past you. But when you're stopped at a light, it's just dumping. It's just dumping on you and you're just, you're just sitting there. And, and I have to say that one of the thoughts that was going through my head in the moment was I can't wait to tell Kurt and Amy this story. Because, you know, it, it, and I think that that is like bringing you guys into it with me and, and all of that just, just is, is like what you're saying. And, and so, yeah, so got home, changed my shirt, turned the heater on because it was freezing with, because I was soaked. But I, you know, I mean, it's going to rain sometimes, you know, you just, and so what are you going to do? Right. Well, it, you know, and the other thing that's you you mentioned this in our when we were talking earlier. You said like, okay, not only are people kind of like laughing and enjoying, but like as you said, like, okay, you have a story to tell us. But not only that, but so do several hundred other people right. now have a story to talk about when they go home. Exactly. And here's and here's the beautiful thing, is that it's not hard for people to imagine that if they were the one in the jeep. How, like they can imagine their own shame. And t- I mean, they wouldn't be thinking this, right? But they would like how embarrassing, yeah. whatever, except they're not seeing a guy who looks embarrassed. <laughs> they're seeing a guy who is welcoming the moment. <laughs> they're seeing a guy who looks like, oh my gosh, honey, I think this guy like waited till it started to rain. <laughs> and then he got in his Jeep and he <laughs> went out and started to drive around Covington just because like he could do like, I, like, I got to get me some of that. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that guy has. I got to get me some of that, and I think in some respects, it is it is the it it is it is a commentary on the way the gospel works. It is a commentary on how God comes to the places mm. where we are most vulnerable and where we are most easily tempted to be ashamed, and He doesn't just stop the shame; He takes the moment and completely transforms it into an opportunity for joy. Yeah into an opportunity that isn't just joy for you Mm -hmm. and for us who get to hear your story. It's going to be kind of like, as as C.S. Lewis likes to say, it's going to be like the good infection that spreads to other people. And it, you know, it as, I forget who the writer is, this is like, maybe it was Beekner, who's like, we're going to tear another piece off the darkness in those, in those moments. Right, right. That's just fabulous. That's just fabulous. Yeah, yeah. That's a fabulous story. Well, Kurt, I, I, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. You start this chapter of this book and introduce the story, introduce a character story of Carla, and mm-hmm. Carla comes in thinking that she wants a cure for her insomnia. I, I think is what it is. I mean, this is yeah. sort of yeah. a this is sort of an ongoing theme for you. Your these patients come in and they think <laughs> they want their gout cured, and then you take them to this whole other place and talk about ripping the scab off the darkness, but. <laughs> Wait, that was tear a little piece off the darkness. It's not ripping a scab off the darkness. 
I like my version all better. Right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, it, now the truth is out. That that's really what I do. Come to my office. I think I'll, you got I'll, one thing wrong with you, but we're going to get the, no, that, that's, there's, there's a lot of truth and beauty to that too. I mean, yeah. 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 Let's, let's talk about Carla's yeah. story a little bit. Yeah. So this is a, this is a woman who was in her legal career, had, you know, made her way up the chain in her firm and, you know, she she came in truly. She came in as as is often the case. I'm I'm here for my insomnia. I'm here for my anxiety. I'm here as if it is this thing that I have, and it's like something that's separate from who I am and my story and so forth. And pretty quickly, uh, I'm just, you know just kind of walking through fairly standard questions that we would have. You know, psychiatric evaluation. We find out that she's married. She has children. So I'm asking about her marriage, and she says it's fine. And the next thing you know, quite. Uh, somewhat accidentally, but maybe perhaps not. Uh, it tumbles out that she's having an affair with the part with one of the with one of the legal firm's partners. Mm. That's you know yeah. down the hall from her. And of course, then it became kind of like, oh my gosh, this just came out of my mouth. What, what the heck was I thinking or doing? And I'm thinking, well, I think finally, like you've carried this for a long enough time, and this is a space, and I think you've been waiting for an opportunity to tell somebody this, mm-hmm. because how long can you? Kind of bear this. It's been, it'd been going on for several months, and of course, this had this had begun with you know lunches and then dinners and then conversations with this partner, this this the, you know her her boss, who was more than happy to you know cooperate with right. this. Who you know he himself was in a listless marriage, and but I think the the point was that eventually, as as, as she said this, you know she she quickly kind of backed away from it and didn't really want to talk about it much anymore. And I said, well, I, I would be more than happy to work with you with your insomnia, but only, I'm, I'm not going to give you medicine unless you're willing to come back and talk about your story, which we did. She was willing to do that. And eventually we got to the point of, and and, and the affair was ongoing, it was active while when, when she came in and uh, I invited her to consider the possibility of talking with her husband about this. And of course, <laughs> I think the line she used, I said, was, what's that like for you? And she says, I think I just want to throw up. Right. Right. I'm like, please, not on my nice couch. Right? No, I did. I didn't. I didn't say that. Um, I might have thought it, but I didn't say it. Okay, but 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 you, but one can imagine, like that, it, it would feel like throwing up. Like I would feel like throwing. I mean, I, I I really get it. Like she's not crazy for having that kind of. Re- I, I completely get that, and you know, at, at this whole notion of vulnerability was, you know, we we talk about this this idea that. For her to be vulnerable in many respects, it it feels like it's like there's something wrong. Like to be vulnerable with her husband Preston would have only it, that would have been like ripping the scab off. You you can't like nausea is the only way that you can imagine this. You you imagine vulnerability as an awful thing, right? As a only as a dangerous thing, and we forget that vulnerable is who we actually are. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you about an organization that is very dear to us. Hope Heals Camp is a truly unique offering in the world. Just this summer, Kurt had this great opportunity to attend one of the camps. I'd love to hear you tell us about that, Kurt. Thanks, Beth. You're right. I had the chance to attend Hope Heals Camp, as you can see from my T-shirt, an opportunity to spend time with the organization founded by our friends Jay and Catherine Wolf. And the Hope Heals Camp 
creates an opportunity for adults and children alike, people with disabilities, to come to a space where they can be cared for and be nurtured and nourished. And where I also discovered not only that I had the chance to be healed in certain ways, but that we discover that we all have disabilities. It's just that some of us, uh, it's more visible than for others. And so I was just really excited and humbled by being able to be part of this and really love that we're having the opportunity to support and to promote this camp. There is no other space in existence today like Hope Heals Camp. And we have a great opportunity to support this amazing organization. We can help scholarship families with disabilities to come to camp for free through a tax-deductible donation. Every donation makes a difference, and $1,500 allows a family of four to attend for the entire week. Go to hopeheals.com forward slash donate. That's hopeheals, H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash donate and join us in giving to this great organization. We just wanted to let you know about something that's going to be happening on October 28th, which is a Friday. It is the second annual Center for Being Known Connections Conference. You want to talk a little bit about that for us, Kurt? Yeah, thanks, Pep. We're really excited. Some of our listeners may be familiar with the Connections Conference that we had last year. And this year, it is going to be a one-day event, Friday, October 28th, as you mentioned. And the purpose of the Center for Being Known is to serve as a clearinghouse, but also to develop an association of those folks who are really interested in pursuing more about what it means for us to not just learn about what we're doing at the interface of interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation, but how we apply this in our day-to-day lives. Mm. And in particular, how we apply this work in particular domains of our lives, whether we are working in business or education or in the arts or in the mental health field or whatever it is that we're doing. If if we're working in farming, whatever it is that we're doing, we really want to invite people to be curious about what is God up to using this work that he's given us to do, and how does that enable us to flourish in particular ways in those particular domains? And so the conference is offering four really, really seasoned speakers, people who know their craft and who know their worlds, four speakers, one in business, one in education, one in spiritual formation, one in the mental health field, that are all going to help us dig deeper into what it means for us to apply these principles in their particular domains and also help spark imagination for everyone else who comes uh, to do the same, no matter what that domain is that they long to see God do more work in. I'm really excited for this this year. You know, last year we did just a virtual event, and this Mm -hmm. year we are doing a hybrid event where you can actually come to the event, be there in person with us, And if you aren't able to make the trip, wherever you are, there is a virtual option as well. Go to thecbk.org to register and get all the information. Um, I will actually be there. I'll be emceeing the event this year, which I have... Dude, okay, okay. I've I've no idea why. I've been chomping at the bit. I've been chomping at the bit to say, like, yes, like, you're the reason people should come. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let's just I have t- had let's so many this- people ask the question. <laughs> I've had so many people ask the question. So, Kurt, what's the story behind the most beautiful man in the world? And I want to say, come to the CBK conference and get your answer. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I tell you what, we have decided to do something really different as well. Uh, <laughs> if, if you are coming, if you're in town, 
then the night before, on the Thursday before, on the 27th, we are going to record a live version of the Being Known podcast. And oh my gosh! Yeah, we're, yeah. we're <laughs> and we're all going to be there. Amy will be there. It's yes. all. It's just. It's going to be. It's going to be great. And I, uh, we're going to hold this uh, at a place called McLean Presbyterian Church. It's going to be a beautiful venue, and you know, I, I would love for people to come. You know, for the CBK conference, come for our live recording of uh, the podcast. And I and I would say I would want people to come, certainly uh, come prepared to uh, find joy, mm-hmm. come prepared to find connections with other people, to be nourished, um, but also during the conference, uh, come prepared to do a little bit of work, come prepared to you know do some some work of of some rigor because we're going to invite people, to, we're going to invite you to uh, let God uh, into spaces that perhaps we've not always even been aware that. He wants to come into, but uh, overall, I'm just thrilled at what we've got on the docket for this conference and for the podcast recording. And uh, Pepper, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you're going to be able to MC this and that we'll get to do the recording the night before. I'll do my best to not ruin the whole event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about it. So go check it out at the CBK, T H E C B K dot org to register. Yeah. Yeah, you t- you say that vulnerable is not something that you, that you can that you have to do because we just are. We right. just are. Naturally we are. Yeah. Right. We're the only animals that put clothing on ourselves because we have to. And so even phys- from even our very physicality requires protection. And then there's this whole notion of what our inside life is like, all these things that bang around in our head that we feel and that we think and that we sense that we would never reveal to anybody else. And we would think that it would be like, not only would it be, you know, just embarrassing, but it would be unwise. It would, be, it would not be smart to reveal to my friend this part of me that is really true. And so what we find is that we've actually been made this way. And of course, I would, I, I think like, this is just not really one of God's better moments, you know, in, in making us vulnerable until we find out that in the biblical narrative, we would see that he's actually made us like himself in this way as well. We don't imagine God being vulnerable, which is why Jesus upended that whole notion, this idea that God is never willing God never asks us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. And even when God, you, you get the hint of this in Genesis 1.26, where following all the things that he's made without consultation among himself, and God said, and there was light, and God said, and there was this, and there was that, then there's this kind of moment of consulting. There's this, let us make mankind in our image. Like, we're going to have a conversation about this. We're going to consider it as if he was aware of what was coming, as if he was aware that we're going to make mankind in our image and we're going to make him to be vulnerable in the same way that we are willing to be. And there is a part of us that also is vulnerable. And we get to the apex, we, we get to the zenith of this created moment of vulnerability when we read at the end of Genesis 2, and the man and his wife were naked and unashamed, this whole notion that this is how we have been made. We have been made as we come into the world naked, we go out of the world naked, and Jesus also comes into the world naked as a newborn. He goes out of the world naked on a cross. 
And in between all this, God is saying, I make you this way because that nakedness, that vulnerability, we have it so that we can receive protection from the other. We can be connected to the other. So I need you for your protection of me and my protection of you. I need you for your help. Like you can help me and I want to help you. But at the core of this is if we're going to really be like God and make, create beauty and goodness in the world, I need my vulnerability. I need your vulnerability. I, we make things together most powerfully and most durably when we are vulnerable and when shame is not in the conversation. And of course, for Carla, part of the challenge had been that, you know, as a, as a middle kid growing up in her home, shame had been quite subtly part of the message. She was someone who, uh, because of the nature of how things operated in her home, she kind of kept her head down, did things really well, never got into trouble, worked really hard to make sure that, you know, she was keeping the peace and everything was operating because everything else was, other things were a little more chaotic between her older and younger siblings and her parents and so forth. And so she isn't really noticed as being a, a, a you know, as being trouble, you know, right. Carla's no trouble. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that trouble doesn't have to do with Carla, but her parents don't notice this. There's no sense in which we're going to be curious about you because I got so many other things I got to take care of. And so she goes into her adult life and she finds that by the time she gets to me, some of those, some of that sense that like, I'm not that interesting. I'm not that people aren't curious. And even my own husband, you know, he's not that interested in me. We've got kids and I've got to, you know, keep that running. And the one thing where she found energy and interest and someone found her to be interesting, you know, was the dude who who occupies the corner office down the hall from her. And there's this sense in which it was in that space where she was finding life and light and interest and energy and all this that she hadn't felt for much of her life, this one part of her that hadn't really, really allowed that to happen. And so then it becomes this matter of like, my gosh, how am I going to give this up? Like, I can't imagine giving this up or even speaking to my husband about this because she would imagine the same thing that I would imagine that Adam and Eve would have been imagining when God comes to find them in Genesis chapter three. There's this sense in which when we are in trouble, when we are in Carla's shoes, the last thing I want to do is to reveal, is to be vulnerable, is to be who I am because it's so noxious for me to imagine that. It makes me want to throw up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in that state of shame that it's very difficult for me to imagine that God would ever want to come to find me with any other posture other than to kill me. He, like, he's upset. He's angry. He's disappointed. All the things that like, look, I don't need you. Like, I, I, like I'm doing well enough on my own here telling myself like what an awful person I am. Like I'm good enough at this. Like I don't need God's help in reminding me of who I am. And we see that the man and the white and, and the woman were, were, were kind of perhaps worried. I mean, he had said on the day that you eat that day, like you're going to die. What, well, I guess, I guess this is it. And so they're hiding. Uh, they're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God and God comes to find them. And he asks this question, where are you? And what God's actually, he's not primarily seeking to punish them. Now, of course, my shame, if I'm Adam, like, I, I don't know that. I can't see that. I can't imagine that what God is still seeking is naked creativity with me. Even in this moment, God is wanting to do something more. He's not just coming to punish. And it reminds us that 
God is always in the business of connecting on the way to correcting. Hmm. That first we connect and then we correct. He fully connects with us in Jesus on Good Friday. And resurrection ushers in the correction that we're able to follow, but not before. I mean, even his disciples like couldn't get it before the resurrection. As passionately committed as Peter claimed to be, even he's going to throw Jesus under the bus. Like it's clear, like it's it's hard, for that. and they all scatter. And so Jesus joins us. It's this question of first God comes to connect, and then correct. But this is difficult for us to imagine if we haven't had any practice. It's hard to submit ourselves to the opportunity, to the possibility that you, Pepper, would want to connect with me in the face of knowing the things about me that, like, if I, if I tell you, like, you're, like, no, you're not, you're, like, no, this is going to be done. No more podcast. No, no more, no, nothing. And because this vulnerability means that what God is trying to do is to get as close to us as we are willing to allow him to be in our imaginations. And so we, we, we recognize that vulnerability is the state through which we must pass in order to connect. The other thing that this does, I mean, this doesn't always kind of just as a theological idea. I don't know how much of a difference it makes for us, but like what we're already seeing here are hints of the Trinity. This notion of let us make mankind, we're seeing hints of it. And we're seeing hints of God wanting us to know that we're not alone. In the same way that God is not alone. God's not a monad. He's not just a single deity. There is this relational aspect of God. And if we imagine that what God is doing is not so much a matter of him, this like singular person over here and we're over there. But if we imagine that there are three of them and they come into the room and they say, we want you to be part of us. We want you to join our team. We're having a dinner. We are having a dinner, and we want you to be at the table. We, we know, we who know, we know about, we know, Carla, we, we know. And we, we don't want some other Carla. We don't want some Carla who's never made a mistake. The Carla that you thought you needed to be growing up in your family where you needed to keep the peace. We want the Carla who's sleeping with her boss, who's not her husband. That's the Carla that we want. It's very difficult for us to get because they want to make because he wants to make that connection before any correction, right? Yeah, and it's so difficult to imagine through our shame that anyone would want to make that connection. I mean, like I think of your. I mean, this is like so your story. There is a sense in which your willingness to. Pay attention to your, to your moment in the way that you were makes it possible for you to connect <laughs> with all those people yep. who are passing you and you're, because you're not letting shame get in the way of that. And it, it, like, it is a thing, like, it becomes, like, oddly enough, it's a gift hmm. of laughter and a gift of presence and a gift of connection that... In order for that to happen, we have to be willing to exhale and put our shame aside, which is hard to do. But what we recognize then at the end of the day, that what God is really doing, he's coming to be known. He wants us to be known by him. 
and he wants to be known by us as well. There is this sense that we, we are creatures who know things and who, and who long to be known. And we always like to say that when we, we want the part of us that longs to know, it, it's a necessary, important part. It's one side of the coin of the way our mind works, dominantly out of the left hemisphere of our brain. But it is typically singular in the sense that, like, I am the agent who is going to go on the internet and look up this piece of information. I'm going to go to the library. I'm going, I'm going to do this work. Now, I may get information from you, but I'm the primary one who's seeking knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm in the driver's seat for this whole enterprise. The dark side of that is, of course, that uh, it reflects my intention to want to know things. And if I can know more and more and more and more and more, the closer I get to being like God, which is the only person who actually knows everything. Yeah, and I don't need anybody else because I know everything and I don't need you. Right. 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 I mean, ultimately, that's why I would want to know everything because it helps me protect myself from the vulnerability of the wound and the being left and all those kinds of things. But being known is a different way of operating. It much more heavily involved involves my right hemisphere, much more heavily involves my embodied experience of being seen by someone else, much more heavily involves my activated nonverbal cues that I'm sending to others and that others are sending to me, whether I'm aware of it or not. And it is a corporate act. Yeah. Like it doesn't, like it is, it is me submitting. I'm giving myself to someone else to know things about me. I'm going to be known. I'm going to have this experience in which I am in a vulnerable place. I'm not in the driver's seat. And this way of being known is the way that our healing of our shame can commence. This shame that we keep hidden. And, and this is the other thing that we, I think that we often we, we, at least I'll, I, I often lose track of this, that it is God also who longs to be known by us. Like, I think, like, what is, why does God need to be known? Like, what does he, doesn't, what does he want anything? Like, what, what am I going to add to God's life? How does God have any experience of being known by me? Like, what? And we, uh, you know, our, our theologians might say, well, that's all, you know, occur for your benefit. Like, no, actually, the, 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 the scriptures especially you get the Old Testament major prophets where God talks about his longing for, his, for the people of Israel. Like that's, like, that's not a God who doesn't need things, who doesn't want things. This is a God who's like, I'm jealous for, like, like, what, like what God says that that doesn't also then come to kill us. This is a God who longs to be known. And I, I think of it, you know, I mean, your, your kids are now, yeah, you I was, know. I, I was just going to say, you know, the way the obvious way that I would relate to this is, is, you know, I have such a desire for my kids to know me and for me to, for them to hear my stories and, and, and react to them and, mm-hmm. and obviously for me to know them and know their stories. And, and that's, that's the relationship. And, and I can't imagine my life without that. It is such a fulfilling and wonderful part of my life, my relationship with them. Yeah. But it, and it is definitely a give and take, but but it gives you a glimpse into this idea of of God wanting to be known because I want that right. same thing. Yeah. Right. And you know, I think th- there will always there will always be ways in which because my kids are my kids, there are ways in which I won't be fully known by them in the way, for instance, that I'm known by Phyllis. 
Right. Or in ways in which that I might be known by you because you're my peer. There are ways in which sure. we can know things collectively that my, because generationally my kids are, you know, in a different space. But the parts of me that I, that, that can be known by them, oh, I desperately want those parts to be known. I remember when we were, um, I, I, we, we talked about this when we were talking with, when we were doing parenting work with, and especially with fathers, uh, but not limited to them. I, I say like, look, you know, one of the most powerful gifts that you can give to your kids over the course of their lifetime is the way in which you at developmentally appropriate stages uh, reveal to them the story of your life telling them your story at developmentally appropriate ages. And I remember my kids, they were like, you know, they were about mm, probably seven or eight years old when we started to, like, they started, you know, into school. And once a month, we'd go to McDonald's for breakfast. And, you know, I'm sure I did it, you know, quite imperfectly. But my longing was to, even with with an eight-year-old, is to begin to introduce them to things about me. And so, like our our daughter Rachel, who was we were we were on this long trip. Um, we were going to a wedding in North Carolina where we were invited, and she was the uh, she was a flower girl. But and she's like oh six or seven years old. And so, but our our son, being as young as he was, he was gonna so Phyllis and he flew. We were living in Pittsburgh at the time. They flew to North Carolina. Rachel and I got in a car and we drove. I remember we stopped in West Virginia. We leave early in the morning. We stop in West Virginia for, for lunch. And we get out of the car and we go in and we're sitting down at the table at McDonald's. And she says, Daddy, this must be really good for you. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to talk to patients. And you don't have to talk to mommy. I said, oh my gosh, I feel so fully known. Oh. I didn't say that to her. My, 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 my wife, Phyllis, fortunately thought this was pretty hilarious. Yeah. But like this felt sense of like, oh my gosh, she's only six or seven years old. And she's already kind of sensing this, like there's some part of me, not all of me, but there's some part of me that feels known by my kid. And even at that stage, like, I, oh, gosh, I, I love that I, I feel known by my kid. And I just want to say this is an imprint. This is part of what it means to be made in God's image, that God has part, God, you know, I'll never fully know, like, he's not going to be fully known by me, but this sense that there are parts of him that really long to be known by us. And to send us the message that, yeah, I, like, I, I want to be known by you. Like, you're that important to me. You make that much of a difference in my life. This whole notion of withness, that he's coming for us in this way, this power of withness. We'll talk about it in our next episode, the power of this, even in connection with just the way our brain works. But this withness uh, is not just, oh, I want to come into the room and be with you, and then I'm going to leave. This notion that God is coming to stay. God wants to be with us. God wants us to know that he's with, like Jesus, like, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice Jesus doesn't say, and lo, you have everything I've said. See ya. Lo, I am with you always. I think of 
you know, the woman who had a bleeding problem in Mark's, in, in, in all, in the, in the Gospels, in, in Mark's version of this, she comes and, of course, she has an idea in her mind about what healing is going to look like. I just get, get, I need to get my bleeding stopped. And she does it in a most invulnerable way, right? She's going to hide. She's going to, like, work her way through the crowd. She's just going to tag on his garment. She's not like blind Bartimaeus yelling from the side of the road. She's just going to hide and do her thing. And then, like, all the wheels come off her plan. Because Jesus comes to be fully with her, not just with, not just with her bleeding, but with all the other parts of her about which she feels so much shame. He's coming to plant his flag and stay dwelling with us. And he does, he comes, to, but he doesn't come like a Roman emperor. He doesn't come like a, he comes vulnerably. We often talk about the seven I am's that Jesus speaks in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd and all the others. This notion of like we who take that as, I think we've, we've probably said this before, on our podcast, we, these are words of comfort and joy, but they were also the very words that got him killed. He's being vulnerable. He is naming, he is revealing who he is. He's being opened. This is who I am. And we kill him for it. And it's just reminding us that crucifixion, like it, it is a thing that, lets us know that Jesus knows exactly what it's like for us to be us. Hmm. Because it's fully exposed physically, fully exposed emotionally, fully exposed in all that he is, because he's trusting that something else is coming. Well, I think that it was this chapter where you, you talked about the fact that when in those times when people were crucified, they were crucified without any garments on. They were crucified naked. Right. Right. And we don't see many depictions of that because it makes us feel so much embarrassment and shame that we can't even yeah. look upon upon that. Yeah. But, but it just is a picture of how vulnerable that he was. Right. You know, yeah. Right. And, and you know, we, we, we often think, too, that, well, Jesus was just that, you know, he was, he was vulnerable. And, and so we... Even in our shame, we tell a story and we even interpret scriptures in certain ways that have us feeling like Jesus is completely alone. But there is a part of him that is always staying in touch with something. We even often quote Psalm 22 in the opening words of, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which Jesus quotes from the cross in Matthew's gospel. If we remember that Matthew's gospel is one in which he has Jesus quoting a lot from the Old Testament because Matthew's writing to a Jewish population. And there's a way in which we might say it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And we can just use those lines and we know that we're talking about a tale of two cities and Dickens. We don't have to like quote the whole book. We don't have to say the, we don't have to say the title. When Matthew says this, we know that he's pointing to Psalm 22. He's not just pointing to the first words of Psalm 22. He's pointing to the whole Psalm 22. And when you read the entire Psalm, we see that you get to the middle of the Psalm and everything turns. And the end of the Psalm ends in vindication and joy and healing. And this is what Jesus is having to pay attention to, even in the middle of his vulnerability. And this is what resurrection points us to. This is what ascension points us to. And then there is this sense of rhythm, right? This sense that to be with us 
is not to stare at us, to never leave, to never give us a break. It is this, to be vulnerable means we rhythmically do this, just like we rhythmically breathe, just like we rhythmically were awake and then we sleep and then we're awake and then we sleep. We come and be with and then we might go into the kitchen and then we come back and then we go into the living room and then we come back. We go off to work and we come back. Nobody's demanding that we only be this naked vulnerable, offer this naked vulnerability like 24-7. We need to rhythmically approach this. But we have to remember that even in our movement toward vulnerability and toward healing, evil is not about to go quietly into the night. And evil wants us to believe, for instance, that for for our listeners, it's easy for us to think, gosh... I, I think that vulnerability is, only, is really going to apply mostly to like the big ticket items. Like in Carla's story, it's like, oh, yes, we can see that vulnerability is an important thing to consider because she had an affair. But as we'd like to say, shame isn't just operational in those things that we would see as horrendous or big. It starts in microscopic moments, as we've talked about in previous episodes. It starts with little things. It doesn't begin with large events. And for Carla, it didn't begin with a large event. She didn't just one day decide when she was 18, I think that when I'm around in my 30s, I'm going to have an affair with somebody. That's what I'm going to plan to do. Right. No, this becomes kind of like the frog that's slowly being cooked in water that's temperature, whose temperature increases. This is what happens to us. We like to say that shame begins with a whisper and crescendos to a roar. And this is what happened with Carla, and this is what happens with us. And we work so hard to keep the whispers of shame at bay that by the time they're roaring, we wonder how we got here, and we think that that's the only thing that's going on. But actually, the devil's been long in the small details and continues to be, even as Carla started on her journey of healing. And so we discover that if we're going to be vulnerable, we, we talk about you know this, this notion of, you're, you're familiar with this in movies and in plays this golden circle. So I got introduced to this idea when our when our daughter, when Rachel, the same daughter who I had that lovely conversation with at McDonald's on that roadside stop in West Virginia, uh, when she provided so much insight about my marriage, um, she uh, she uh, has had a longstanding interest in acting and was involved in uh, her high school was, and she had to write her own, she wrote her own one act play and she talks about this golden circle, and even in her one-act play, she implemented that, this notion that you begin at a certain point and you work your way through the themes of the play or the movie and you come back to that moment. And what you find is that, you know, Carla came into the world as a vulnerable kid, as we all do. And the traumas and chaos of her world, you know, put her in a position in which she had to become increasingly protective of the vulnerable part of her, and that protection led eventually to her ignoring and hiding the parts of her that longed for things and that thirsted for things and hungered for things until she found herself in this affair. But her healing eventually had to make its way forward by once again being vulnerable. Because that's actually, again, how we've been made. And how we have been made to flourish, to create beauty and goodness in the world. Shame does everything it can to mar that, to have us wrapping ourselves in as much protective garmentry as we can. I don't even know if garmentry is a word. It works for me. 
But I mean, it's just, uh, it's really quite striking that our healing begins in the places where it's really hard to go. Yeah. Uh, and I want our listeners to know that, like, this is hard to do. This willingness and choice to live as we actually are, to live in the real world, to live with wisdom in our vulnerable selves. It's hard to do because evil is waiting to devour us in the process. But I want us to know that because of Jesus, because of Christmas, because of Good Friday, because of Easter, because of Ascension, because of Pentecost, because of a future perusia, a future appearance. This way that we've been made as people of vulnerability is going to continue to be the way that God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. And so that's reason for good news and a lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of, of having to strengthen vulnerability is a, it's a big deal. Having to mm. find your way back to it to work through. Yeah. Do you have yeah. an application for us this week, Kurt? Yeah. So I thought this week for our listeners, I just want to invite us to reflect just again, every time we think about application, we're thinking about not just imagining things, but anytime you can write about them, anytime you can journal about them, it's going to be, and we'll, you know, we repeat this all the time because writing about them slows the brain down, slows our mind down, lets us imagine things, lets us, it puts us in contact with things that we otherwise aren't in contact with and we miss out on. This week, I want to invite us to reflect on the parts of your story that feel vulnerable. What are those parts? And, you know, sometimes like, like, like we're, we're, we, we have such allergic reactions to our vulnerability that we won't, we won't even look at it. So like even the idea that I'm going to look at a part of me that feels vulnerable, like I don't want to do that. Which ones have you kept hidden in order to protect you? Uh, what do you wish you could experience with someone who came to know those things about you for which you carry so much shame? Like, what do you wish could happen? He said, well, I'm not even going to write that down because I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, it certainly isn't going to happen if I'm not willing to name what it is that I want, name what it is that I wish for. What feels most uncomfortable about the notion of being known by someone in this way? What are we afraid is going to happen? Mm. And when I say, what are we going to afraid is going to happen? I'm like, write down, like, well, if you were to pick a person that you would love to be known more by, what are you afraid they, that, that real person, what are you afraid that Jason, what are you afraid that Sarah would actually do? And what would they say? What would they do in real time and space if you were to be known by someone in this intimate way? And now, of course, the hard part, any of these things that you're reflecting on and writing down, how many of them, which of those things would you share with someone that you trust and consider doing just that? That's our application for the day the very act of which is an act of vulnerability. And so we appreciate how hard this can be, but also how much beauty can emerge from it. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks for this chapter. It's really helpful. And uh, thank you for this application. I'll be digging into it this week. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, Pep, I will be looking to go back and uh, scroll through the local Cincinnati news <laughs> real <laughs> library uh, to see who captured on film 
some dude. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Driving, driving in a downpour with his open Jeep, yep. having the time of his life. Yep. All right. I love you, Kurt. Right Stick on. around. Love We've it, got uh, right. bonus with Amy coming up for the people watching on YouTube. See ya. See ya. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.